0: So to begin this morning, I want to share with you a few announcements just to help you continue to get oriented uh, to the unfolding of these days. At 3.30 p.m. this afternoon, there are gonna, there's going to be the Brahma Vihara practice. So again, an invitation to come to that. Also, you'll see on the board there's a place to sign up to be a practice leader, so it's uh, taking the bell, there's usually a bell over there, and bringing it to your cushion and ringing the, the bell for the, uh, the needed uh, meditations for whatever day that you sign up for. One thing about that, one of the things that I've appreciated about doing that is it's an opportunity where I get to care for my community, where I get to practice generosity And sometimes what comes up when I do that, it's like, oh, but but I want my schedule. And just to have a day where I'm setting that aside to really make sure that I'm engaging in the regularity of the schedule can be actually quite sweet. And also, if some of you were inspired by what Tuari was sharing last night of like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to give myself over to the schedule just to follow. It's a wonderful, uh, also active service that you can do within that. So do feel free to sign up for that and and you'll notice basically every week a new sheet will come up where you can uh, uh, offer such generosity to our community here. Today, between 12 noon and 2 p.m., the hall is going to be closed. They have to do some stuff with the technology. So, so there'll be some folks in here, staff in here, uh, working on that. At the same time, if you're here for the 11.30 sitting meditation, I don't think there's a rush to get out of here. So you know, feel free to really be here for that meditation when the bell rings. If you need to linger a little bit, that's okay. And then uh, uh, coming into lunch at that point. I also want to take some time with one of the questions that came in in our question box. Uh, because I think it's an important question just for practicalities. My question is about the practice of bowing to the front of the room when entering or leaving the meditation hall. I've been to many retreats and have never heard instructions or explanation of this practice. This is such a good point. I'm comfortable bowing to honor, respect, acknowledge a person, but bowing to an empty dais or to objects feels awkward. I may be the only person in the room not doing this, and I don't want to be disrespectful. Please talk about it. Thank you for this question, because it is true. Here we are doing something that can be uh, quite unusual for at least dominant culture in this, in this country. First and foremost, uh, just to be clear, you don't have to bow. For some people, it really doesn't fit. And if it doesn't fit and it doesn't resonate, it's, it's fine not to bow. Uh, so this is really quite important. This also uh, is about community, where there's a space where you can explore bowing and a space to not explore bowing, and both are, are really okay. In terms of uh, if you're interested in it, uh, kind of the the meaning of it and the purpose and and the explanation of it, <clears throat> I think it'd be so interesting to ask everyone why they bow. Because what I've discovered is there's like this vast world of meaning, of really of dimensionality of what it can mean for one's heart and i just want to give a few but i want to be really clear i don't want to narrow what that is because i think i think it can be so rich and when i've heard people share why they bow i'm so moved in different ways and i learn so much from it and my intention to share just a couple is to show the the vastness here and how you can play with this and to allow it to be meaningful for you and and your particularities and how you and your particularities relate to this tradition. For some, bow, uh, bowing, for example, to the Buddha Rupa here, the statue here, or to the diocese <coughs> it can be quite classical just bowing to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Yet it can have uh, meanings uh, greater than that. I remember a colleague of mine, he was saying, you know, there are no words that can express my heart's connection to the dharma. And the thing that comes closest to that is a bow. For him, it, 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 it expressed something that can't be put into words. In terms of the act of bowing, what I love about it is that I'm, I'm... Uh, engaging in this bodily act of of uh, lowering my body to something that's greater than little old me, and I find this helpful. I can get so caught up in my world. You know, as John Ruskin said. Uh, um, uh, no, I forget the quote. It'll we'll come in, in, in five minutes. <laughs> he said, uh, when people are wrapped up in themselves, they make such a teeny little package. <laughs> it's so nice for me to, to step out of the teeny little package into something that's bigger than me. And, and some of you, I'm sure, have been touched in a way by the Dharma that feels so much vaster than this kind of narrow, fixed sense of self. And what a beautiful thing to bow to that. And in terms of learning, it's a kind of learning that comes from ritual. It's it's not like, oh, I'm gaining new information when I engage in the act of bowing. It's more that my heart and my body are learning something and reminding me of something. It's like when you say, I love you to a child or a partner or to a lover. Hopefully when you say that, it's not new information. Oh, I didn't know that. Really? (laughs) But you say it again and again and again because it reminds the heart and it deepens that relationship. And so often knowledge is seen as new information. Ritual's not about new information. It's about deepening a heartfelt sense. And even to the, the Buddha Rupa here, the, the statue, sometimes we have these kind of fixed meanings of how the world works. <clears throat> maybe the tree that, that's, that that Buddha Rupa behind me is made from, maybe it was the tree that decided to become the statue rather than the artist that created the statue. The tree whispered to the artist. Convinced them to carve them into a Buddha, and so that human beings could see her wisdom, the wisdom of this tree. And here she is. Like, there's, there's the wisdom of nature right there, who decided to give their body to become a Buddha. Or maybe it's the sun and the moon and the clouds and the rain reminding us like behind me is the whole universe what would it be like to bow to the wisdom of the entire universe there you know human centric perception is so deep as if i am the one with agency And maybe, there's never been a research study done on this. I just want to be really clear. We don't know how the universe works. Maybe there are other nodes of agency. So just to bow down to not knowing, to not understanding, to bow down to a a big mystery that we can be a part of. This morning, I would like to continue with these morning instructions and to carry on from what Dara introduced to us yesterday, which is this coming into the body, the mindfulness of the body. And there's a particular facet that I want to share with you some reflections on. It's this, it's this uh, tricky realm of mindfulness of body in terms of navigating physical discomfort navigating pain and in particular it's going to be navigating the kind of the pains and the discomforts the aches that can come just from dharma practice and in particular in the stationary meditation in the sitting meditation because hopefully the way I frame it you can hopefully hear within sitting meditation it can be such a rich realm to explore uh, within sitting meditation and I want to acknowledge um, also, that, you know, there's this whole other realm of chronic pain, and some of this will cross over into that. But I want to say that chronic pain has its own nuance and complexity needed to start to delve into, to start to navigate that. So I, I, I want to acknowledge there's many more complex dimensions dimensions to this that I, I won't be getting into. So first of all, what is pain? One of the more current ways of understanding pain is that it's a signal or uh, more accurately, it's a prediction, the mind and the body, how they interact. It's a prediction that there might be harm happening to our bodies. It's not always accurate, It's it's a prediction. And when there's pain, our physiology, our, our biology, wants to alleviate it. And I want to point out, that's a really good thing. Like, it's got us to where we are in evolution, because our ancestors had these like impulses of like, wow, I'm feeling some pain, and maybe I should do something about it. It's, it's the wonder of this biology, this phys- physiology, that has carried us to this point. That's a great thing. And yet, the complexity is have you noticed you can't always alleviate pain? Probably everyone here, you know, I'm guessing here, have you had the experience of physical pain that you couldn't immediately alleviate? Even with all of the wonders of modern medicine. Still, this is the case about being human. It's the human predicament. That at times I'm confronted with pains that I can't immediately alleviate. And here I am within that predicament. So this isn't about coming to a point where you know I'm, I'm not attempting to alleviate, where I'm not taking analgesics or sometimes pain medicine where it's needed. It's not about that. It's, it's coming to terms with this predicament. And from a Dharma perspective, what we begin to see is, is that phrase that many of you probably know, pain is inevitable. This is a human predicament. Yet the suffering is optional. Unpleasant Vedana, which we'll be getting into tomorrow. It's inevitable, and yet the suffering's optional. So it's starting to clarify for my own heart and my own mind how my mind's adding reactivity to the primary pain that might be arising in, in meditation. So how, how to navigate uh, this realm... And so just a, a few points. And, and again, I, I, just one caveat, and I, just to be super clear, I think this is always when I'm sharing with you from up here. I'm just up here sharing with you mostly my own experience and also what I've discovered by working with others uh, through all these years. Th- that's all I'm sharing. Like, Please be clear, I don't have the answer. <laughs> I really don't. Yet I can share something with you, and then it's it's your job to to figure out, oh, is this resonating or not? So there's a role as a yogi to to listen and to honor what you're hearing, but then to experiment and explore. So you you are discovering. because you know, we don't have the answers. And and Dara pointed to this. You know, she talked about you might have a question and then and that's the nice thing about the basket. You put it in the, in the basket and it gets answered or not, but then then you hang out with that question and maybe it clarifies it. Uh, there's some clarification that comes for you as well. So this empowering thing. And this doesn't mean you shouldn't ask questions. It's just we want to empower you as practitioners. Much of the first decade of my Dharma practice, just given my body and the context I was in, I was navigating a lot of discomfort and a lot of physical pain. Some of it is, is it took me a while to really enter into my emotional body, so my body, my feeling was kind of somaticize things in a particular way, and that was kind of where I needed to begin uh, practice. Now, that's changed quite a bit, even though there's still physical pain for other reasons, getting older. (laughs) And uh, Zen practice, boy, <laughs> boy, I love Vipassana practice. <laughs> I mean, I love Zen practice too, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, that's another story. But it opened the door of kind of learning the skill of how to navigate physical pain. And also, what I want to point out is it's a wonderful place because it can start to inform how I learn the skill of navigating emotional pain because physical pain is so tangible. It's right there. And some of the skills can cross over if I have an openness to that. So there's a richness here. So the, the one question that I think can be the question for practice is uh, with whatever's arising how can I be with this? Okay. How can I be with this? It's a wonderful question because it can be so alive because hopefully it changes quite a bit given what's arising and, and wh- where you're at. And I want to give a, a general way of being with pain and then get into the more specifics. And the general frame I'm going to give you is it's, it's uh, one of the reasons for it is it's, it's, you're going to hear it's going to create a context of learning of exploration rather than the context of merely enduring. And the, the way to create this is to play around with this rule of three in your sitting meditation. Some of you might know about this rule of three. And this is gonna be more general and we'll get into specifics in just a couple minutes here. The so rule of three is as I'm sitting in meditation, as so I'm sitting in meditation, a, a certain discomfort or a pain starts to arise. And as that pain starts to arise at some point, whether it's a couple seconds or a few minutes or even a half hour, there's an impulse, a strong impulse to move. So the first strong impulse to move, I just notice, oh, there's a wanting to move. And then I continue to meditate in these particular ways you might want to explore in a few minutes. Then a second strong impulse to move happens. And I just continue to meditate. And then on the third strong impulse to move, I move. You know, you might want to change your posture just a little bit. Sometimes what I used to do is just bring in one leg up and continue to meditate. You might want to come into a standing posture. So I want to point out it's okay to move during a sit quietly. This is important for this learning context. And what's important about this third time to move is there's such a rich opportunity for practice, at least if your mind's kind of like mine. Because it's this opportunity where I get to practice intentionally being compassionate. I, I care about my body. I don't want to hurt my body. I care about it. You know, may there be a freedom from suffering. And then I'm moving out of this sense of compassion and kindness and care for myself. And this was, has been so powerful because so often there can be such a habit I've noticed in my mind of like, damn it, I can't do it. Or, ah, I was hoping to make it to the bell. Shit. <laughs> Ah. Oh, my mind's good at that one. It's really good. It's got that down. So just that moment is powerful. I'm starting to relate to my suffering, to the suffering that's arising from a different place of compassion. So if you just to do that, there's a richness there. It's small but significant. And again, it sets up a a wonderful learning environment because what it's giving me is it's giving me some sense of agency where I can move if I need to. Sometimes learning is more difficult when I have very, very little agency. Then I just need to endure, I need to survive rather than, oh cool, let's check this out. Oh, there's a second strong impulse. Okay, let's see what happens next. So I'm just checking that whole uh, world out, where I can play, I can explore. So within this rule of three, what 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 can I explore? How can I be with this? And just getting a sense of what to do is is you're you're discerning what's there. Like so, when mindfulness is strong. So this is more dependent upon the pain than the mindfulness. When mindfulness is strong, there can be a way of really fully being with the the pain. Oh, and let me go back to the rule of three. There is one thing I forgot to mention. These three strong impulses, they can happen in a matter of seconds or they can happen over like an hour and a half. So it's not deciding how quickly these come. Sometimes when there's a strong pain, there's the first strong impulse, the second strong impulse, and the third strong impulse. Other times it's like one strong impulse and then like a half hour goes along. Second strong impulse. And when I follow that, I'm following a rhythm of the body and also the, the strength of, of mindfulness. So just to, to keep that in mind, not to judge how, how strongly those are arising. Okay, so when mindfulness is strong, which of course you've noticed you don't get to choose. <laughs> we can influence it, but we don't get to choose. And then it's just the pain as the meditation object. Oh, it's tingling. It's this heat. Noticing how it changes. Sometimes it expands and contracts. Sometimes it arises and increases and then dissipates. Sometimes it spreads. Sometimes it collects. Reminding you of the the guided meditation that Dara gave uh, for us, which is so great around just the four elements. That's a way of framing how it feels. And then how is the mind relating to this discomfort? And the hardest thing to notice sometimes is when the mind's okay. It's just like, oh, cool. Like, It's, it's cool with this. It's okay. Wow, I'm just savoring. Wow, there's equanimity. Oh, it's not liking it. It's not wanting it. Oh, worry. Interesting worry. Fear. Fear. Irritation. Blaming. Interesting, this is what the mind does around pain, to start to notice how the mind relates to pain. This is where the gift is, right? This is where I start to notice reactivity and the mind can begin to let go, begin to abandon, as he was talking about last night. But it's all rooted in simply noticing. That's all you need to do, notice. How's the mind relating to it? And often what I notice for my reactivity, you know, for me to notice mind states, often I'm feeling the bodily component of it. So it's like, how do I notice mind state? For me, it's like feeling the body. What my body often does in terms of reactivity is it braces. It's like I can feel the bracing. So some of the noticing of reactivity is also the skill that Dara emphasized again, and again and again yesterday morning, which I appreciated, which to have the skill of softening, relaxing. So it's not just noticing, it's, it's learning the skill of actually softening the body. We can play with some of the reactivity by just softening a bit, learning that skill. And then when mindfulness is maybe not so strong, it's pretty good, or the pain is much stronger, it's the practice of redirecting the attention, having the skill to start to influence attention. So there's two different ways I just want to offer. One is, is having the, the, sometimes let's say I have a, a pain in my knee, and it's like, oh my God, bringing my attention to it is, is, feels too much. Feeling the whole body. So the focal, the focal point of attention, the aperture of it, broadens. So I'm feeling the whole body. Or sometimes what I'll do when I have a discomfort where it's kind of like I can feel the reactivity arising is I open up my eyes and I'm just bringing in a spacious quality. What's that like to play with opening the aperture? I'm not trying to get rid of the pain. It's a way to, to modulate that experience, so that I can reestablish mindfulness. And same thing: noticing that how the mind's uh, relating to the pain, and and allowing the pain in the, to be in the background. And then uh, also being able to maybe, if you feel pain in, in your knee, maybe the upper body feels more easeful. So more of the attention goes there, and you allow the pain to be in the background. So it's the redirecting. It's practicing practicing these again and again and again. And then when you get home after retreat, you go to the dentist and you give it a try. See what it's like. (laughs) That's kind of my test piece, okay? (laughs) dentist is really hard for me. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Many dentist places, which I really appreciate, is you can ask them, this is important for me, to ask them to, can we turn off the music? You just want to be quiet. Got to got to do the test. got to do the exploration. This can be similar with emotion, which I'm not going to get into because we'll be getting into this more. Sometimes it's important to broaden the attention, to redirect the attention, to allow the Emotion, if it's really stirring, to be in the background, still feeling it in the body, but having these. And then, of course, the crucial piece for me, at least, around strong emotion is is the practice of compassion, self-compassion. Okay, so let's uh, begin to sit together. If you need to, you don't have to, but if you need to, uh, feel free to move your body a little bit as we begin here. If if you want to take care of your body or simply continue in the posture that you're in, just getting a sense of what your body needs and, and honoring that. And I invite you to begin by simply feeling the whole body. An invitation to relax into the body, so that might be allowing the body to relax, like maybe different parts. Allowing the muscles in the face to relax and the jaw to loosen. the shoulders to drop and the hands to relax. And what I find helpful is to have a sense of settling in the pelvic floor. So allowing that energy to settle downward, a settling downward in the pelvic floor and an opening as a way of arriving here, now. And now you might want to open to whatever anchor you might be utilizing if you're utilizing an anchor right now. Having an interest, a curiosity of the anchor as if you've never experienced it before. What's the in breath feel like? What's that like? Ah, the out breath. Or the whole body. And if you discover something pleasant in the anchor right now, to savor that, to allow it to soothe you. And if it's not pleasant, it's okay. Just to be with it. And as you continue, can you be okay with how meditation can feel so messy? How there are these bits and pieces, these strands, these chards of mindfulness that kind of appear and then disappear and then another strand arises and passes away. It's the complexity, the sometimes chaos of experiences coming and going. It's okay just to trust that process. And if pain or discomfort comes, to explore it maybe in a few of these ways that I shared. So may you, may you have a day of practice. Thank you for listening.